you know, I love hearing um, just these testimonies, and I love hearing just the, the prayers that, that people are praying because um, you heard it in Jeremy's testimony. He, um, he's amazed where he's at, and it's only, only the power of God that can transform his life. Like, we, we send him off to, to, to Minnesota, and um, he's at Redemption House, and, and God only can transform a heart. God is doing a work in Jeremy and to see him where he's at, and the work is just beginning um, in his life and all of our lives. Like he said, we're on this, all on this, this road of, of sanctification, being transformed every single day more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And that's only a work that God can do, and God is all about that ongoing work. And so it's amazing to hear how God answers prayer, how God holds people up, how God gives people strength, how God gives people exactly what they need moment by moment. And I always want us to be a people that are so dependent on the Lord, like I said last week, so desperate, so needy for God to move in our lives, to come back to him over and over and over again. Because frankly, that's what every dad wants, is for the kids to just say, hey, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need. Now, sometimes, honest, it gets a little overwhelming. It's like, oh, enough, enough of that. But God, our Father, wants us to come to him and say, this is what's going on, this is what I need, and pour out our hearts before him. I want you to think about your life and think about where you're at today. And I want you to think about, um, is there a time in your life or have you come to the realization that you could do more than you thought you could do? Like, have you, have you look at, think of your life and think about like, you know, something in your life, you're like, I never thought I would be able to do that. I never thought I would be able to do that. Does anybody have anything that, that comes to mind that they'd want to share? Something that you never thought that you could do. And it could, be, it could be spiritual, it could be physical, it could be whatever. Like, does anybody have anything that they would, like, you thought there's no way I could ever do whatever. Putting people on the spot. So years ago, um, I remember my... Should be on. The, the toughest class... Oh. Hello? Testing. Okay. Go for it. The toughest class for me growing up was uh, oral communications class. Um, I was, it was uh, super hard as a freshman to take that class, and I, I was worse than every other student in there when we did our presentations, and that later I could be transformed, become a communication arts major, and today I'm presenting in front of uh, students every single day, and it's pretty dramatic. It's That's pretty awesome. awesome. Only God, only God. Yeah, Steve's teaching classes at uh, Gateway Mission, and uh, God is using that, and he didn't think like he could stand up and talk, before, talk in front of people. It's absolutely amazing. Somebody else? Anybody else? Something that you thought you... Do I... I'm going to Jen first. I trust Jen a little bit more than Zane with a microphone. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was 40, I saw this guy running on the side of the road, and he had to be probably 80, and I was like, that's amazing. I hope when I'm 80, I can run like that, except for I never ran. <laughs> so I remember thinking, like, that would be so cool. And then by 44, I ran a marathon. Never, ever thought I would do that. It's a long way, 26 Nor miles. Nor did anybody else. All right, let's take a vote. Do I give my son the microphone? <laughs> um, two days ago, we won against our undefeated team in baseball, and... We won against them nine to seven. Yeah. So you didn't think that could happen because you had doubt, right? You didn't think we could win. You could win, and you did it. I, I think there's so much in life that, that we think, like, there's no way 
that we could do whatever, fill in the blank. And so we limit ourselves. I was talking to the gang out in Colorado, and uh, Josh Orton, who's leading the trip, was telling me that on uh, Tuesday, I believe, they went uh, rappelling, which they went off the side of this, uh, this mountain or this little cliff. I think it was like 80 feet up in the air. And there was one kid, and everybody did it on the trip, but there was one kid who um, has been in church maybe twice his life, uh, doesn't have a, a vibrant spiritual life or relationship with the Lord, and he was nervous, so freaked out to go over the side of this cliff, he was shaking, and Josh was going down with him, and this kid was like cussing him out the whole time, <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe you, you, you made me do this, blah, 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 but he made it, he went all the way down. And he survived, and every kid survived, you know, coming off. They're all coming home, you know. So they, all, they, they, they thought they couldn't do it, but they could do more than they thought they could. And I think that is so much so true uh, of our lives. You know, I know it is for me. Like, I, um, there's so much in my life that I'm like, there's no way I could do this. There's no way I could stand up in front of a, a group of people and talk. In sixth grade, I passed out fainted because I was so nervous giving a speech in front of my sixth grade class. And I remember thinking, there's no way I'd want to talk in front of people. There's no way I would want to do this. But, you know, so often we limit ourselves. And I just want us to, to really believe this morning that you and I were capable of so much more. You can do more than you think and stop limiting yourself. Stop putting excuses on, on what you can do. Stop putting a limit on what God can do through you. And I, I don't want this, though, to sound like some self-help. Because it's not like, hey, just, you know, pull yourself up and you can do so much more. Because it's not that. Ephesians 3, and I, I love this, you know, verse, and it's not up on the screen. But Paul says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine, according to the power at work, where? In us. In us. God can do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. How? According to his power that is at work in us. And I wonder, do we believe in that power that's at work in us? Do we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit is in us and empowers us to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine? You know, I love this verse, and this one is up on the screen, 2 Peter 1. And this hit me this morning. Peter, and you remember Peter who was uh, the one who was bold and just would step out of the boat and walked on water, and, you know, his mouth often got him into trouble. But he was writing this to a community of, of believers in the first century, and he says this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now think about that, equal standing with ours. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, do you ever see yourself on equal standing with Peter, the Peter that you read in the Bible? Do you think like, okay, I'm just like him. I sometimes, I look at people in scripture and I elevate them. I'm like, there's no way that I could be who they are, but they are the same as us. Why? All because of the blood of Jesus. The one who is different is God, God, but God's the same. You know, from generation to generation, God wants to work and move in people and through people. And are we available to be used by him? Are you available every day to say, God, work through me? I want us to look at Exodus chapter two and three this morning. And I want to use the story of Moses to really challenge us and to challenge each person here to really think about, okay, God, what are you calling me to do? Because God is still on the move freeing and comforting and rescuing people and restoring people and healing people. And we believe that, but God works through people. Let's look at uh, Exodus 2, starting at verse 23. 
through 25 to, to get started. It says, during those, day, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, just a, a little bit of background. Why were the, the people of God, why were the Israelites in Egypt? It had been 200 years since a man named Joseph died. And, and if you remember Joseph, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. Joseph was like the favorite kid of his, his dad. He got that nice fancy coat, and his brothers like, just really didn't like him. And so they all ganged up, and they uh, threw him in a pit, and they thought, we'll just, get it. We'll just you know, do away with our brother Joseph. And then they thought, hey, maybe we can make some money off of him. And so they sold him into slavery. And so, and so eventually he makes it to Egypt and um, is in, the, in Egypt and gets blamed for some things that he didn't do, falsely accused, thrown into prison, uh, in prison for a while. But eventually he moves into a position of power and authority. And he is told by the Lord that a famine is coming. And so he leads Egypt in this time of, of collecting uh, resources so that they can be prepared for the famine. And then the famine hits, and all of a sudden, all across the land, people don't have food. And who comes to Egypt for food? Well, it's Joseph's brothers. And they come begging for food. And he feeds them, and, and restores, they're restored into relationship. But there, uh, Joseph was in Egypt, rose to a position of power, was very respected. But Exodus opens up and says that there was a king that arose that knew, did not know Joseph and all that he did. And the Israelites were still in Egypt, and they grew in number, they grew in strength, they grew, uh, they multiplied. And it says because the king, because Pharaoh was threatened by them, he chose to enslave them. And I always thought, like, I, th I thought about that, like, when people are threatened, when people feel intimidated, when people feel uh, jealous of somebody else, the result is always slavery of some sort. They want to imprison people. That is a tool of the, the enemy in his kingdom is to enslave people because of jealousy, because of selfish ambition. And so the people of Israel are in slavery and they're working hard. They are, they are like overwhelmed with labor and they cry out to God. And look at his heart. I always have loved this, this verse. In verse 24, it says, like, this is God's heart. This is who he is. God heard their groaning. Their cries came up to him. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant, remembered his promise to, to be in relationship with them, the covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people, and God knew. And I love that picture. God knew. Like, it's like God knew deep in his heart what the cries of his people were all about. God knew what they needed. God heard their cries. Don't ever underestimate that, that, the, that your cries uh, before God are heard, that he knows you, that he sees you, that his heart breaks for you, that his heart longs to see people walk in the freedom that he purchased for them through the blood of Jesus. God wants us to live in freedom. In fact, when I think about Jesus, when he walked on, on this earth, God in flesh came into the temple one day, and they were reading out of Isaiah, and, uh, and Jesus opened up the scroll, and he stood up, and he read these words from Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to bring liberty to the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what is on God's heart. 
He wants the oppressed set free. He wants liberty for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind. That, when we pray, God, your kingdom come, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're longing to see happen. Those who are oppressed, those who are enslaved for for any different reason, to be set free. This is the heart of God. And so he hears the cries of his people. And his heart breaks. Verse 3, or verse 1 of chapter 3. I pick up there. Now Moses... So the story shifts a little bit. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and cave to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I surely, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and all these other ites. In verse 9, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I mean, again, we see God's heart. It says he sees the affliction of his people. He hears their cry. He knows what they're going through. And he's come down to deliver. He's come down to rescue. And how is he going to come down to rescue? He goes, Moses, I'm going to send you. Now, Moses, at this time, is 80 years old. He spent the last 40 years wandering in the desert. At 40, he left Egypt because he saw injustice done to his people. He saw an Israelite being beaten. And he thought no one was looking, and so he went up to the Egyptian who was beating him and and killed him. And some people were looking, and they thought, okay, you're going to do this to other people. And so so he runs. He's, he's, He's afraid of his life. And so he runs out into the desert at 40 years old, having spent the first 40 years of his life in Egypt. He wasn't even supposed to live. He was supposed to to be killed as a baby because that was the edict of the king at the time. Like any baby boy was to be killed. And there were some women, well, actually his, his parents, his mom and dad said, no, I'm going to choose life for this kid. And I'm going to raise this little baby. But at three months old, mom let him go into the Nile River and build that basket. And just by chance cruises down the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter picks up little Moses and takes Moses into her house, neglects, goes against her dad's decree to kill little boys, and sees that this little boy is an Israelite and says, I need to find a woman to raise this little boy. And who does she find? She finds Moses' mom, and she raises her son. But Moses was raised in the Egyptian way, educated under the best schools, but then at age 40 went out into the desert. And once a rescuer, always a rescuer, because he gets out into the desert and he sees some women that are being mistreated by some people at this well as they're trying to feed their their flocks and give them water. And so Moses comes to the rescue of these women. 
and delivers them and, and, and helps them and pushes out these, these bad guys. And their dad takes note of this. And so he marries a woman, and he, and he lives in the desert for 40 years. And at age 80, God comes to him and says, I'm going to set my people free, and I'm going to use you. And God lights a burning bush on fire. And I thought it was interesting. Every time I read this in verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, here was this bush that was burning. And it says, Moses turned. And Moses turned and saw this bush. It got his attention. And then it said after that, when God saw that Moses turned, then he cried out, Moses, Moses. And I wonder, how often is God trying to get our attention and we're not turning? We're not noticing. How often is God trying to speak to us and say, hey, come this direction. I have something for you. Are we turning like Moses? But then I also thought at age 80, God was about to work in the life of Moses and work through him. And just as a reminder that when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as retirement. If you are living, God wants to work through you. Are you available to be used by him? And so I think of the things that are happening in July, like the great adventure and, and coming out and helping kids. If you're breathing, like that's an opportunity for you. If you're alive, God wants to speak through you. God wants to work through, for, through you. There's no kicking up your feet when it comes to the kingdom of God. At any age, God can work through you. And are you available? And so here was Moses. And you would think, like, he's a rescuer. He wants to go and, and see his people set free. And so you think, like, Moses' reaction would be like, all right, let's go. This is my moment. This is what I was created for. I've been waiting for this moment all my life. But here is Moses' Moses' response. God says, I'm going to bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, but I will be with you. God says this. I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, that you shall serve God on this mountain. I think that's so interesting. Moses says, who am I? Who am I that you would use me? And I often wonder, like, how often do we have that excuse? How often do we limit ourselves? Like, who am I? There's no way. And God says, I will be with you. He answers that doubt with a promise and says, I will be with you. But then Moses asks another question in verse 13. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. God says, who are you? Like, what if they say, like, who are you? God says, I am who I am. And then he goes on and he says, you will see my power. But then Moses again questioned in verse 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Moses answered again, but behold, these people will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And then we know how the story goes. He throws it down and it becomes a serpent. And then he picks it up and it becomes a staff again. And then he puts his hand into his cloak and um, takes it out and it turns leprous. It's white as snow. And then he puts it in there and it's, it's healed again. And so God says, like, what is that in your hand? But then Moses makes another excuse, and he says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since that you have spoken to me, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. Then the anger 
of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I just think of this and like, here was God who said, here's the promise. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt. And what was Moses' response? Over and over again, he's like, who am I? Who am I? And what was the problem? Why did Moses doubt? Why was he scared? And I think this is so important to learn because we do this so often with our lives. Moses was looking at the natural. He was looking at his own abilities. He was looking at his own shortcomings. He was looking at himself, and and actually, when he looked at himself, there was no way that he could do it. Absolutely no way that he could set the people of Israel free, and he was exactly right. There was no way in the natural that he could do it. But we have to stop looking at the natural and look at the supernatural and know that with God, all things are possible. We have to stop putting limits on what God can do through us because we have to get our eyes off of ourselves. I've done this in my life. And I know you have too. We, we look at our own lives and we're like, there's no way we can do this. And so often we're looking at the natural when we have to look at the supernatural. We have to get our eyes focused on God because here's the thing. We can't do what God has called us to do, but the truth is he has put his spirit in each and every one of you and it's his power that he wants to work through you. Do you believe that? You believe in the Holy Spirit's power at work in you. We have to stop the excuses. We have to stop looking at ourselves and say, there's no way we can do this. Something shifted at some point with Moses. And the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11. And this is what the change was. Hebrews 11, verse 23. It says this, by faith, Moses... When he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I love that. They were not afraid of what the king said. You said that you you wanted this baby to die. Nope, we're going to keep him alive. But by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. It says he was looking to the reward. And that word there is only used in this verse and throughout all of Scripture. And it's this intense looking. It's not just a glance and then looking away. It's like you're looking through a telescope and they're only seeing one thing. Moses was fixed on the reward. He was fixed on Jesus. He was not looking to the things of this world. He was not looking to his own life. He was fixed on Jesus. And I wonder, what are we looking at in our lives? So often in our lives, when we come across opportunities, who or what are we looking at? Are we looking at our own inabilities? Are we looking at the problems that arise? Or are we having our eyes so fixed on Jesus? See, we have to stop with the excuses in our lives that there's no way we can do this or that. Why? Because our eyes need to be so fixed on Jesus to say, you know what? It's not I, but Christ who lives in me. He is the one who is going to do that work in me and through me. But here's the thing that also happened. Moses was so fixed on Jesus. But I go back to Exodus 4. God looks at him and he says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And Moses said, a staff, and he offered it up. I think at the end of the day, that's all that God wants from us, just to offer to him what we have, to look at him, to be so fixed on him, and then to say, here I am. I offer all that I am to you. And he takes what we give him, and he does what only he can do 
And it's a supernatural that is at work in us and through us. Are you offering up all that you have to God? Are you giving him your voice? Are you giving him your compassion? Are you giving him your time? Whatever you have, are you offering it up? And then lastly, in Exodus 4, 13, Moses says this, Oh Lord, please send someone else. And that verse breaks my heart. Because I don't want that ever to come out of our mouth. We don't, I don't want us to ever ask the Lord to send someone else when he has sent you into this broken world to be his hands and his feet. Are you offering up your life? Are you offering up everything to him? Are you having your eyes so focused on him? This world is in need of compassion. This world is in need of the love of Jesus. This world is in need of a great transformation. I mean, we've seen this all throughout this last week in the events that are in the news. And here is such an opportunity that we have as the church, as the people of God, to live differently, to speak words of hope and life into this world. You know, when it comes to the, the conversation that's happening in our world about abortion, I think we have such an opportunity. We have such an opportunity to, first of all, speak up for life because life begins at conception. We see in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God saying to Jeremiah, you know what, I saw you before you were born. I knit you together. I had a purpose and a plan for you. Psalm 139, God knits us together when we're in our mother's womb. He knit us together perfectly. A life that is growing inside of a woman is a life, is a baby, is a child. We need to speak up and be a voice for those who don't have a voice. But also, church, and I think this is just as important, we need to continue because you guys are doing that, surrounding people. Surrounding people when they find themselves in a situation where there's a, they have a pregnancy that wasn't planned. And their people are, are running from them or are turning their backs on them. We have an amazing opportunity to come and surround men and women and say, you know what? What happened is a sin. Call sin what it is a sin. Just like we sin, you sin, all of us sin. But you know what? There is the power of the cross to forgive and to heal. And all we're going to do with, with the, the sin of abortion or the sin of an unplanned pregnancy or whatever, we're going to do with that, what we do with every other sin, we're going to surround people, bring them to the feet of the cross, and believe and know that the power of the cross is, is big enough to forgive any sin. That's what we have an opportunity to do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to demonstrate his heart to a broken world. Are you offering up yourself completely to him? Are you being bold? Because we can do it, not us personally, but the Spirit's work that is at work in us and through us. So I'm praying that we would be bold that we'd be filled with faith, that we would cry out to God over and over again, God, we want to see you move in power and we are available. Here I am, send me. I want us to pray and I want you just to bow your heads and open up your hands and I want you to ask yourself, are you being like Moses? Is your life filled with excuses saying there's no way I can do this or that or is your life filled with an expectation that God is going to work through you through the power of his spirit. Are you standing on excuses or are you filled with expectation? Because I know, and you know this, the world is getting darker and darker. But that's just a better opportunity for the light to shine. <clears throat> And I look around this room and I know that God wants to shine his light through each and every one of you. Whether you're 
two years old or 200 years old. Don't limit yourself. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come and fill us. For the, the times that we've looked at the art and we've made up excuses, we've doubted, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would fill us with faith. God, you have wired us. You have created us for a purpose. You've given us gifts. And beyond that, your spirit is at work in us and through us. And so, God, we're sorry for the ways that we've put a limit on what you want to do through us. And so this week, we are coming with expectation. And just like the prophet Isaiah said, here I am, send me. We are saying to you, here we are, send us. Give us words when we need it. Give us compassion when we need it. Give us everything that we need. And we declare this morning that we don't want to live for ourselves. We ask that we would decrease and that you would increase in us. That you would work through us. That people would not see us, but that they would see you. We want to live all for your glory. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray.